It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math and Magic Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where Anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Today's guest is a lawyer, an Emmy award-winning poet, a writer, actor, activist, and is the partner and this chief administrative officer of Seed at the Table, a mission-driven equity crowdfunding platform committed to connecting diverse entrepreneurs with non-accredited investors looking to obtain equity and or debt exposure at modest investment amounts. Money Movers, please welcome Susan Baraka to the podcast. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I am incredible. I'm so excited to have you here. Your story is incredibly inspiring. And I, in particular, love stories that involve transitions, career transitions, and being able to sort of follow your passions and help others on the way. So really excited to have you on the podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> well, let's dive in and get started. So to those of you out there in the Money Moves audience who are not familiar with Susan and what she's done, I named a lot of things as I introduced you, but I want to start off by saying I think you might be the first Emmy award-winning poet to be on our podcast. So tell us how that happened. Oh, wow. Um, so I back in 20... I want to say it was 2020, I was commissioned to write a piece. Uh, so I've been a poet for 17 plus years, um, touring, traveling all over the country. Um, and I was commissioned to write a piece uh, revolving around the subject of voting. 
And I remember for several weeks, I kept asking myself, how am I going to write a poem about voting when you know, <laughs> Floyd is going on? And there's all this. And I'm, uh, for background, I'm half black, half Korean. So um, I was also dealing with um, feelings around what was going on in uh, the Asian American community. And so there was just all of this tension. And I, I was like how am I supposed to write this? Yeah. Um, and that sort of became the through line for the piece that I wrote, um, which is how do I write a poem about voting when, you know, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water when so many, yeah. But so also I like at, at the time, like very timely, like we were, I don't know about you, but obviously commissioned to do this poem, but the you know, we were calling people to almost arms saying like, come out and vote. It's more important than ever. So I could see how it'd be just such a big task. Yeah, definitely. But I wrote the poem and I shared it with a few people, one being uh, a, my best friend, uh, Jami Rambaran, who is a professor at Howard University and also a, a film director in her own right. Mm -hmm. And um, she offered to direct the video for me. And so we did it. Um, and it aired um, in the DC area. And then shortly thereafter, because it's a PSA, we uh, were nominated for an Emmy and then we won. <laughs> okay, I have to pause right here. Where can people find this video? Uh, I, I do have it on my my IG page. Okay. Uh, Susan Baraka. That's S-U-Z-E-N underscore B-A-R-A-K-A. But, you know, you can find it online if you just search my name and vote. Um, it's it's available. Incredible. Incredible. Okay. So now as we unwrap the present that is you and the gift that we have to have you on, on the podcast today, but you're also a lawyer. So you went to school, you decided to be a lawyer. Let's talk a little bit about your journey there and then how you've transitioned to being an entrepreneur and supporting other entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I think like most <laughs> immigrant children, absolutely, <laughs> our parents have a plan for us. Uh, and from a very young age, I was groomed to be a lawyer. Uh, I had always said from probably from, I think like third grade that I was going to be a teacher, an actor and a lawyer. And my mom definitely honed in on the lawyer part and yeah. pushed that narrative for my entire life. Yes. Um, and in some ways is still pushing that narrative. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I taught, I taught poetry for several years because I was writing and performing poetry, but poetry was very much a, a second or a double life for me because I knew I had to go to law school. I knew I had to, you know, pursue this, this track. Uh, and so I did, I went to Cardozo law school. Um, actually prior to that, I, I was at undergrad at Seton Hall. Um, I was a terrible student. Ah! Um, I actually didn't really intend to go to college if I'm being completely honest. Um, and I almost failed out my first semester. Wow. And then when I realized how serious it was, I, I pulled, pulled up your socks. Yeah. And I, and I ended up graduating with a double major in Africana diaspora studies and English honors. Um, and I had very much intended to go to school for creative writing and get my master's uh, for creative writing. Uh, but of course my parents were against that. And I ended up at this dinner with a bunch of really awesome, black, excellent people. And the person sitting next to me was this um, attorney. And I told her, I said, yeah, my mom really wants me to be an attorney. I 
guess I should start looking into law school. And she was like, oh, send me your resume. And I was like, really? You'll take a look at it? And she was like, yeah, sure, I'll take a look at it. And unbeknownst to me, she actually submitted it to Skadden Arps for a uh, legal assistant position. (gasps) I ended up getting called in and interviewing. And I was terrified, number one, because this is one of the largest and law firms in the world. Um, But also just because I, I didn't know what it meant. And it was also another... It was a whole nother league. Like people who go to Skadden are, you know, Ivy League students and top of the class. And so I just really, I didn't know what it all meant. And I didn't understand the gravity of that opportunity. So when I was offered the position, all I could think was 85 to 100 hours a week. Oh my gosh, am I signing up for this? (laughs) Right. And I remember that this woman, Veronica, um, she, she called me. She said, you better take that. You better take that fucking job. Right. Right. Oh my God. There's so much to unpack here that I love so much. Like I want to touch on like having immigrant parents and their expectations and just the power of when opportunity knocks, taking a seat on that spaceship, you know, and just, you never know. It's like, you got this opportunity because you're like, okay, I'm going to go to this dinner. You could have not gone to that dinner. You sat beside this lady and you actually like spoke out, you know, I think I should go to law school. And she's like, all right, let me help you. Like there's just, what a beautiful story. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm so blessed. Um, and I, yeah, everything is serendipitous. A lot of the, the the opportunities I've had have come from dinners. And I think that what gave me sort of a leg up was that I was already involved in a nonprofit organization called NJ Leap that um, takes students coming out of eighth grade going into high school and puts them into constitutional mock law debates and um, all types of extracurricular programming. And their their New York counterpart, uh, Legal Outreach, has like a 99.8% success rate of getting those students into college. Wow. So, um, and, and, and NJ Leap has, a, has a, actually a similar it's record. NJ now. Leap? Yes, N J L E E P, right. and okay. I was I was actually one of the like three people who was you know administratively in involved in the launch of N J Leap, even though I was still in college. Um, but I I loved volunteering, I loved teaching, I loved helping those those students because I w- I'm originally from Newark, so mm-hmm. it was. Uh, and and the program was run out of Seton Hall Law School. So because I had already had that experience, that sort of gave me a leg up when I was applying to Skadden Arps, and um, or, or when or when Veronica applied for me. And, um, Thank and, you, Veronica. Uh, Are you still in touch with her now? Uh, yeah, vaguely. She does. She doesn't live in the New York area anymore, and she has children, uh, beautiful children. Uh, so she's very busy. And uh, but yeah, but yeah, we're still vaguely in touch. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, people. absolutely. So now you're in law school. You've made your parents proud, of course. <laughs> and let's talk about the rest of your journey. So you you're in law school. You're deciding what you want to practice. Where did you go from there? So yeah, so I'm at, so I, I end up at Cardozo Law School um, when the 2008 financial crash happens because uh. uh, I was working at, in corporate finance at Skadden, so they needed to let people go. And um, it must have been really scary. No, it was great. It was fantastic. I was so excited to start law school. I was like, you know what? Perfect timing. I, I truly believe everything happens for a reason. Um, so I ended up at Cardozo. I knew for a fact I wanted to study entertainment law, which is which is actually why I chose Cardozo. They have a great IP program. I ended up helping uh, spear a campaign to get an independent film clinic started at Cardozo and had a great time you know, working with the other minority law students 
to to sort of make that happen and sort of build that out. And then after law school, I ended up sort of an entrepreneur still, but just, you know, a lawyer. Like I ended up working for a lawyer who I will not name names, but was incredibly abusive, no. um, a very well-known like entertainment attorney. And I left her and ended up unemployed for a few months. And in that time met my, my ex-husband. And from there, just sort of use my connections in, cause I also interned at Atlantic Records while I was in uh, law school. So I, mm -hmm. I had a number of connections, a number of friends and used those connections to uh, sort of create or build a career in entertainment law. And, wow. then, uh, and so a lot of the work I did was actually working for other attorneys who didn't have the bandwidth to, to cover all of the work that they did. So they'd uh, farm their work out to me. And that's sort of how I built an expertise in doing all of this work that they didn't that's have to so do. interesting. And I, I mean, I don't know enough. So this might be a very novice question about the law industry, but typically people go and work at one firm, but you sort of were consulting. And I think it's really great way to like sort of get experience and a broad probably base of experience. You were like, let me take the jobs that people don't have bandwidth for. You number one, you're putting food on the table. Number two, like the breadth of experience you must have had. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I actually, I was able to get an office space from John Jakilik, who's a, an incredible uh, entertainment attorney. And then he would farm out some of his work to me. And then I had another attorney who was also my mentor and still in, in many ways is, his name is Frank Salzano. Um, he's also a sports agent now, um, working out of Miami. And then um, uh, Bernie Jackson was also my other mentor. And, and my primary mentor of all time is Lynn Gonzalez. And she, um, she's just sort of my mentor in life, but she's also um, an attorney at uh, Island Def Jam. So they sort of helped me figure out um, sort of how to like patch this legal career together and like develop expertise and also, you know, make ends meet in the, uh, while I was sort of building my career. Um, and then I got a random phone call one day asking if I wanted to make $400 a day just doing some like Microsoft Word processing. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> why not? Because, you know, because with entertainment law too, you kind of manage your own schedule. Right. You're like, oh, it's just like 10 to 5 or 9 to 5 and, you know, it's it's really light work. And I was like, okay, sure. You just uh, add, it to, add it to the to-do okay. list. Yeah, I was like, as long as I can maintain my my legal career. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. Do whatever you want. So um, so I, I did that. It was for Barclays Investment Bank. Hmm. And I was a temp for Barclays Investment Bank. And while I was working there, uh, one of the one of the executives said to me, she said, I think you're too smart for this job because they were giving me word processing work. But I was like, I, this doesn't look right to me. Like I, you're like editing it. <laughs> I'm like actively, substantively editing it. <laughs> I think you're too smart for this job. And I was like, yeah, I'm licensed to practice law in two states. I'm definitely too smart for this job. <laughs> so, so she was like, uh, would you be would you consider a full-time job here? And I was like, I don't know, because I still have this entertainment law practice outside of this. It, I would be, I would have to be able to do both. Yeah. And they were totally open to it. And they wow. signed me on as an assistant vice president in recovery and resolution planning for the America's team, which basically means that if Barclays, so Barclays bought Lehman Brothers yeah. in the 2008 financial crisis. So 
if Barclays went under, my job was basically to figure out what the plan is to make sure that we don't affect U.S. financial stability. Oh, wow. So we came up with the, so our job as a department was to come up with a strategy for like how we would unwind in a way that didn't impact the greater U.S. economic. Oh, that's huge. Especially after the 2008, yes, they're like, we are contingency planning. Exactly. And, and this, and this department, this group was very, very new because this only was born out of that 2008 financial crisis. So in a lot of ways, we're still, we're all learning together, us and the regulators of how, how do we do this? How do we strategize around, you know, the different possibilities? And so I ended up being an AVP there and then quickly got promoted to VP. And then my boss ended up leaving and I loved her so much, but she ended up leaving and going to a different bank because of of course, corporate politics. Wow. Um, corporate world, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to be a woman in in this in that industry. Yeah. And then I got a new boss, uh, another a different white woman, but but she from the moment she started had an issue with me. And I think that that, you know, I think that a lot of black women in corporate finance know exactly what I mean when I say Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, I just literally uh, led a group yesterday that was talking about the nuances of working in the corporate world. Some some said it got better with COVID because they weren't in the office all the time. But I mean, it's an ongoing battle that I think that we struggle with. Interesting question for you, because I think like one of the things that really surfaces is like you name all these mentors. You also name a lot of, you know, struggles that you've had as a black woman in the corporate world. And I think a lot of people in our office, in our audience, always ask about mentorship. How do I find the right mentor? How do I find someone that can help me get to the next level of my career? Can you talk about how you've been successful in finding mentors? Yes. First and foremost, I think it's hard work. Yeah. I come from a family where we don't assume that we're entitled to anything. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually one of my pet peeves about my family. <laughs> I sometimes wish I, I, I was more entitled because I think, yeah. you know, there is some benefit to that. Um, but That's because an interesting statement in and of itself, like, because you're sort of like that, that like garish entitlement, you're oblivious to so many things. And yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, but because I don't feel entitled to anything, I am constantly outworking and overworking everyone else. I'm always, you know, the first one and the last one um, uh, there. But I think that that in and of itself and also just a pleasant disp disposition. I, you know, my favorite line is if I have if I'm working for someone, no matter who that is, my job is to figure out how do I make that person's life easier and better. Yep. And I feel like that's something very separate from just being excellent at doing your job. Exactly. Right? That goes such a long way. And honestly, it's likability. And there's no shame in saying, like, I go to work and, you know, people like me because I'm helping to make their day better. I'm helping to make them succeed. I'm helping to make their job easier. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, we're not robot robots. We're human beings. And so it's also about, like, acknowledging the humanity of a person, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, you can tell when, when someone is, is struggling or they need help. And a lot of times, very, ex very excellent 
people have a difficult time asking for help. And yeah. so it's about attention to detail. It's about anticipating people's needs. Um, and so I, I, you know, I pride myself in, in saying that like everything I have, I've definitely worked for. And it's because of, it's because of those characteristics, yeah. being able to anticipate people's needs and pay attention to like the little details. Oh, Susan, I love that because I think it's a question that comes up all the time. People are like, well, I can't find a mentor. I can't this. And, you know, it goes back to the early, early pieces of networking, you know, making yourself valuable in a business or even just going up to people and, you know, giving them a compliment to say, listen, I love your work in this sector, you know, and, and I think it's a hard thing for people to do, but you've given so much, like, I was struck by how many examples you said this was a mentor, this was a life mentor, this was this, and how important that is in, you know, being able to like work on success. Oh, absolutely. Like, and I think particularly black women, Yeah. Um, we often feel like we can do it all, right? And I, being a black woman, I know for a fact that that's not true. <laughs> that's yeah. not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so like from a very like my aunt is um, she's a judge uh, or she was a judge in East Orange and she's also a lawyer. And I remember in college, I would like come to her law office just to sort of see her work. She was actually my first experience with wow. meeting a black professional because my parents are for all intents and purposes, they're blue collar individuals. And I didn't grow up around anybody that was like educate like an educated professional so yeah. she was really my first experience and i didn't really get to know her until i was in college and so hanging out with her in her office i quickly was like oh i can help you with me this. i want to do this yeah i was like you know my mom wants me to do this anyway i might as well figure out how to do it so very quickly i was in her office for like 14 hours a day wow i would come after school and i would stay and i wouldn't leave until she left yeah. Or after. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, having that sense of stamina, I think also helped a lot, you know, because no, even that stamina there helped me get through Scadden Arbs, where, I, again, I was working 100 hours a week. There were there were days I would start at 9 a.m., leave at 2 a.m., and that would happen from Sunday to Sunday for like wow. three months. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so tell me a little bit, because I want to save some time to talk about Seat at the Table, (laughs) and then we'll come back. So now you've had this illustrious law career, and you've transitioned now to entrepreneurship and really helping more people of color, more BIPOC community entrepreneurs build and get access to capital. So tell us a little bit about Seat at the Table. Oh, seat at the table. I mean, it's such a special company because I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, it started with just a group of people like myself who all have our own personal reasons for coming to this. I think for me, again, seeing all of the women in my community, including my mother, my mother is an entrepreneur. So my mother owned a nail salon when I was a kid. She owns a Korean barbecue restaurant now. And and it's, it's difficult for women to access capital in a yes. traditional way. 
And yet, and in particular, black women are the, the leading demographic starting new businesses. Yep. But as far as venture capital, we only receive like 0.3% of venture capital funding. Yeah. And that is a huge industry. You know, it's, uh, you know, tons of billions of dollars are in the venture capital industry. And we know that, especially for black men in particular, the statistics are abysmal. However, we're creating and generating so much revenue in a lot of these businesses that, you know, there's, there's a real disparity there. So this is why I'm super passionate about what you're doing at Seat at the Table. And me personally, like I very much, because I was raised in a household where my mother was, I was watching my mother be her own boss in many ways. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I strive for the same thing. It, I think it's important too, because even working in corporate finance, you know, I was doing great in corporate finance. But as soon as my new boss came into the picture, I realized very quickly, this is not it. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to succeed in this company for a number of reasons. I had already watched my previous manager leave because my company literally did not want to introduce her into the C-suite level executive level. Yeah. So she went to a whole different bank. That's and then the my last feeling that, you know, exactly. We're like, okay, how hard do I have to bang to break through? Can I even break through in this organization? Right. And there's a huge drop off of black people in finance after the VP level for this yeah. very reason. Um, it's very hard to get to the ED level and above. So coming from an entrepreneurial background, I knew there has to be another way for me. So towards the end of my career at, Bar at Barclays, I actually bought a three family house, which is where I'm at now. And I rent out the first floor and the third floor because that's what I know. Like my mom owns her house, but she also owns an investment property. Yep. And so I'm familiar with that to yeah. some extent. But then the financial crisis hits, COVID hits, I'm seeing particularly Asian businesses and black businesses closing their door all over mm -hmm. New York City, all over New Jersey. COVID-19, I think hit small businesses, but particularly small businesses owned by people of color, the hardest. Mm -hmm. And these same people are trying to, including my mother, including me, I, you know, I do a lot of work on behalf of my mother. So trying to get uh, loans from traditional banking institutions was, it was like hitting a brick wall. It was, it was, uh, it was such a struggle and it shouldn't have to be like that. You know, I think, you know, if we even just put the issues of like, Hey, do you have bankers that you have a relationship with, but getting capital when you have revenue and you've got a really strong business should not have to be this hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then on top of that, we, you know, we forget that a lot of times people of color have language barrier issues yep. with getting traditional banking. On top of that, a lot of black women, me included, we exhaust our own finances in order to finance our dream. Right. So yep. like ultimately me, I decided to transition into acting. Um, which is actually why I bought the three family house, because I wanted to make sure that I had investment income coming in that could help support my dream. Right. But when the, when the pandemic hit, my first floor tenant left, she wow. moved out. So that's yeah. a whole portion of income that's not coming in. Yep. Um, and I'm technically now a full-time artist. So um, how do I make up for that? You know, and I realized very quickly, like we need to be more financially aware. I think there's like a huge financial literacy gap um, in our community. And it's because 
it's because we just don't have that history. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't go to my mom and ask for advice. I mean, even though she's been an entrepreneur for years, she's she's still learning new things every single day. And I think like the generate, gen, I love you know bringing this up because I think especially for you know black women, I, I I'm the same. Like I have immigrant parents that came here. They you know their learning curve was so much different than what we're experiencing now, and so they did the best they could with what they knew to get by and survive and provide for us, go to school, create businesses, et cetera. And so no fault to them, but here we are and we're just doing better with what we have. So we have conversations like this. We're intentional about how we can forge trails to find capital, to grow our businesses. And so this is why I really appreciate, especially black women in particular, like yourself, creating platforms like Seed at the Table so that we can bring capital into our communities and build generational wealth like it's a big deal what you're doing i'm really proud and it's a necessity because yeah. i mean a lot of times i think particularly black women um like my like i think about myself i think about all my friends we either we either when we think about investing we go towards real estate yeah or we just you know develop our our professional credentials right so like i am also a licensed real estate broker here in new york city so i practice i pr practice real estate in that way i like it like i said i'm licensed practice law in two states but there are just not enough hours in the day for me to make the money that I need to make in order yeah. to build my legacy. Yes. Yeah. I right. cannot do it with just 24 hours a day. So I need to be able to put the money that I have to work yes. in different ways, in unique ways. And that's why I think equity crowdfunding is so revolutionary because it allows us to access not just you know, and that's the other thing we can't, you know, people take for granted, oh, just reach out to your friends and your family and ask them for money. My friends and my family, well, some of my friends do, but some of my friends don't. And my family definitely don't have the money to to float my to fund your, you know, a seed invest in a business. And I think like in our communities, this is pretty normal that, you know, you can't go to Uncle Jill or grandma this and be like, hey, can I take money out of my trust fund to start this business? Like, it's just not it's just not the normal in our communities. So we have to seek other other connections that can help us crowdfund or get capital for these businesses. And so I love that you're making these connection platforms. Susan, like what you're doing is so incredible for our community. Can you just, as we close out, tell us a little bit more about Seat at the Table and what you've accomplished so far. And I encourage all of our Money Moves audience to tune back in for our deeper dive segment on Seat at the Table and what Susan is doing there. Seat at the Table is an equity crowdfunding platform that allows accredited and non-accredited investors to invest in companies that are founded by uh, black and brown entrepreneurs. And what's great about it is that the, the minimums are small. So you can invest in a company for as little as $100, 200, $200,000. Wow. So if you have, let's say, 10000 that you want to invest, where typically you'd have to invest that entire 10000 into one Yep. Uh, startup, you can now spread out that risk, which I think is Ooh. great, particularly for non-accredited investors who don't necessarily have the uh, financial means to devote $10,000 to one investment. Putting all your eggs in one basket is pretty risky. Exactly. Because yeah. if you lose it, you lose everything. Whereas you can sort of spread out the risk in this way. Since we launched in July 2021, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's, oh my God, it feels like so much longer. But wow. since we launched in July, 2021, we've raised close to $1.3 million. Whoa, um, wow. I'm like a broken record here. I just keep going, wow. <laughs> 
amongst a thousand backers. And these are for companies that are owned and operated by diverse founders and are also meant to service the community and also highlight and empower black and brown voices, which I think is so key because it's like the gift that that keeps giving. I like to call what we're doing. This is this is truly impact investing, because if you're investing in these companies, you're not just investing. You're you're investing to hopefully make a profit, definitely. But you're also investing back into your community. You're investing in entrepreneurs that look like you, that service your community and also that are doing work that is mission aligned with with seat at the table in in making the community better. And building not to mention generating jobs and wealth and helping other families grow and succeed. So Susan, I love what you were doing. Thank you so much for coming on the Money Moves podcast. Can you tell our audience where they can find you and Seed at the Table on social media? So Seed at the Table is, uh, it's at S-E-E-D-A-T, T-H-E-T-A-B-L-E at Seed at the Table across all of our social media platforms. Please follow us, like our posts. Online, you can find us at www.seedatthetable.com. We are, you know, it's a play on words, not seed at the table, but seed at the table, because we are definitely planting something that will grow. Oh, I love that. And make sure you follow Susan as well on her own personal social media, because you are an activist, an actor, a playwright, a poet. So please tell us where they can find you there as well. Uh, you can find me at at S-U-Z-E-N, Susan underscore Baraka, B-A-R-A-K-A on Instagram. Susan, thank you so much for coming to the Money Moves podcast. All right, Money Movers, that's all the time we have for today, but be sure to tune in and follow Susan on all her social media platforms. If we've helped you make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge, and or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to tune in Monday through Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom that you so rightly deserve. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.